0: Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your host Jacob Granger. Each week we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry. Today we're talking about literally one of the most adventurous types of writing there is, and what it's been like doing it from home and in the midst of a global pandemic. Joining us today on Skype is Lottie Gross, a seasoned travel writer with bylines for The Telegraph and The Times here in the UK, but also US publication like Fodor's and Trip Savvy. We all know that as the world entered lockdown the freelance journalism trade was hit badly. It was especially tough for travel writers who were pulled from press trips and in Lottie's case lost 100% of their work overnight. In today's chat we talk about how she filled that void and how you can too if you are still struggling for work or of course in the unfortunate event of a second lockdown. So that's the big question isn't it? How on earth do you write about travel when you cannot travel but also as the travel industry begins to recover what new opportunities are out there for travel writers all of that advice is to come as we talk about rekindling old stories finding inspiration and forging new contacts don't go anywhere but first here's a date to put into your diary as well as great editorial content journalism.co.uk also provides media training for journalists editors and other media professionals on the 5th of october 2020 we are running a course on breaking into travel writing led by today's guest lottie gross for that course and all the other great courses we run head over to journalism.co.uk forward slash courses Lottie, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. How are you?
1: Hi, thanks. I'm uh, I'm good, thank you. Yep, I'm just back from a nice long dog walk, so <laughs> feeling refreshed, ready to chat.
0: How's how is it working from home at the moment?
1: Um, you know what? I work from home normally anyway, so not a huge amount really hmm. changed for me when the lockdown hit. Um, however, obviously the travel is no longer happening, so um, I'm spending a lot more time at my desk than I'm used to, but I'm actually quite enjoying it, I feel like I've been pretty productive, um,
0: despite everything. Sounds like we've got a lot to dig into. Obviously I'm interested in terms of what it's like being a travel writer, when obviously the last few months we've had lockdown and we're still in the midst of a pandemic. What has that experience been like for you as a travel writer and obviously a travel writer sort of trainer as well?
1: So I think um, I did what most travel writers did and I had an existential crisis pretty early on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. So I just started to wonder, you know, what what is the point of me doing what I do when it can just be ripped away from me like this? Why have I got into this career that's so fragile? Why have I managed to shoehorn myself into this tiny corner of travel where I don't have much experience in any other aspects of journalism, really? Um, so it all in the beginning felt quite bleak. Um, but it's not, you know what, it hasn't been that bad. And it's been a really nice opportunity for me to look back on some of my previous trips and previous ideas that I never got to pitch or ideas that I never really got round to properly forming. I've sought out new areas of journalism to try and break into. And I've also um, broke into some new travel publications that I didn't expect to be writing for anytime soon, considering I can't travel.
0: Sounds like you've broadened yourself out a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a really good thing to do. I think my advice for any journalist would be to to always try and have a couple of strings to your bow at least, which I did have, um, in a sense. I I alongside my editorial travel writing, I do a lot of copywriting and B2B travel writing. So I had all these different strands within the travel industry. Um, but obviously because travel as a whole has been hit so badly during the pandemic, it did it I, I literally lost a hundred percent of my work overnight. Um, but I managed to come back from that and I haven't been unable to afford to buy food, so that's good.
0: So I'm sure we will dive into exactly the how in terms you've managed to survive that overnight Mm -hmm. 100% sort of loss. Talk to me a little bit about how the process of travel writing normally works and kind of what's fundamentally changed as we've sort of entered into this sort of COVID-19 period.
1: Sure. The way that most people... Think of uh, when they think about travel writing and the way most people work when they're in the industry, is you seek out ideas and inspiration either from just reading in the media or reading books um, or talking to people or um, particularly talking to PRs. There's a really big PR journalist dynamic in the travel industry, probably more so than a lot of other industries. I think it's quite similar to fashion, for example. But you would seek out your ideas and then maybe you would pitch some of those, you know, fully formed ideas to an editor or a publication. Um, And then from there, if you get the commission, you can then start organising a trip. Um, Alternatively, you might get invited on a press trip and... Usually, you know, the PR would come to you and say, we're running this press trip. They might represent a destination or a particular hotel or a tour operator. You'd get invited on that trip and then you would have to say, yes, I'm interested. Let me pitch this to a bunch of publications and then hopefully get a commission. And then you'll you know be confirmed to go on the trip. It's a little bit of a chicken and egg situation and something quite baffling to a lot of people who uh enter the industry and go, hold on a second, how can I pitch a story about somewhere I've not yet been? Um, but you get used to it. So after you've got your commission and you've set up the trip, you go on the trip, you take all your notes, you take all your pictures, you do whatever you do, um, and then you file your story at the end of it. Um, that's sort of the traditional way of travel writing but there's also a lot of desk work done as well so for example I'm writing a story at the moment on the most exciting British Isles cruises uh, for 2021 um, and that's for the Telegraph and I pitched that story a while back because obviously cruising was um, not going to be something many people were going to do abroad this year so I thought hey why don't we talk about next year's British cruises um, and talk about the British Isles and why you know this is this is a better time than ever to start cruising around Britain. Um, and the editor said, Yes, please. And so I'm now working on that. Now, obviously, I've never been on any of these cruises. May, I might have been on one or two, but I don't have to have been because ultimately what I'm doing is writing about a concept and offering people inspiration. So I'm not trying to write with authority necessarily about a specific place or a specific experience i'm purely providing inspiration for people and showing them what's out there um so there there are a few different types of, of travel writing um and they work in different ways
0: so thinking about uh the press trips and the budgets which you just talked about What's kind of happened now over the last couple of months in regards to those specifically?
1: Interestingly, actually, I was on my way to a press trip um, on the 13th of March when uh, my flights got cancelled and my my whole trip got cancelled because of the pandemic. And then 10 days later, we were in lockdown pretty much. So um, everything got um, just stopped overnight. Everybody was sent home from where they were. Everybody was... Yeah, pretty much... um, you know, I had a few friends in Peru, other friends in Europe, and, and everybody was just told to get home as soon as possible. Um, Obviously, no publication wanted to be responsible for people getting stuck out there. And no PRs or destination representatives wanted to be responsible for having journalists in their country that they had to look after if things went south, which they were very quickly doing. So everybody pretty much was immediately grounded. And I don't think anybody really travelled after the middle of March, to be honest, unless they were, you know, travelling home to Britain. Since then, it's been super quiet. Um, Editorial budgets have been completely slashed because advertising isn't there anymore. I know that one national paper was working to about 50% of their usual budget, um, which is, you know, really, really hard for the freelance writers like me who are now not only um, pitching against thousands of other freelance writers for a position on their website or in the paper, but you're also pitching for a smaller number of of positions because uh you know budgets are far far smaller than they were i think now i mean we're in august now and i think things are starting to pick back up i've had a couple of press trip invites which is lovely i've been on a press trip which was very exciting um i was in spain at the beginning of july to report on the um what i dub freedom day that the uh, when the fca lifted their travel restrictions um so you know i think things are certainly picking up and budgets are definitely picking up i'm seeing a lot more response from editors when i'm pitching stories and i'm seeing a few editors even putting pitch call outs on twitter and things like that so i think things are gradually getting back to normal but there will be repercussions for the industry for quite some time to come
0: i mean Stressful sounds like an understatement from what you've experienced over the last couple of months, but it sounds like things are kind of recovering. You said earlier on that you've been able to revisit old pieces. How was that a good way for you to still have something to talk about and write about when you were stuck indoors or had sort of limited travel?
1: Well, I mean, I think just being busy really helped my mental health. (laughs) So (laughs) giving myself something to focus on like that was really good. But it was also just nice because it felt... You know, often as a as a travel writer and journalist, you fly in and out of places so quickly and you gather so many ideas for so many stories and you never really ever get to do a place justice. Writing one article about one trip is just never enough. So it was quite satisfying to be able to go back over my past trips. For the example I'll give you is um, I wrote a piece for Fodas recently about... Um, traipsing through sludge in the sewers beneath Antwerp. Um it was pretty disgusting. Um but I, I had I was so um, I was so disgusted by the whole experience. Um I actually wrote the piece Almost immediately after I'd had the experience. And I was in Antwerp doing a completely different story. It had nothing to do with that really, but that just happened to be something that I did at the time. So I wrote the story immediately because I was like, this is a great story. Mm. I can make it funny. I feel very passionately that this is a vile thing to do, but it's probably quite an entertaining thing to read about. um So I wrote it up and then I never did anything with it in the end. I didn't even pitch it to anybody because life took over. I had a full time job at the time, I was the editor of a brand new travel website. Um, And so everything sort of got in the way. And I was essentially just scrolling through my Google Drive, looking at all the different random documents of notes and half-written articles I've got. Uh, And I thought, hold on a second, I can definitely do something with this, because it was ultimately all about germs. And we've all just recently become newly founded germophobes, uh, thanks to this coronavirus. And I thought, here's an angle. So I Ah. pitched it, Foda said, yes, please. And so... All I had to do really was go back over my old copy, tidy it up, and then I rang up the um, people who run the attraction and I interviewed them and I just checked that nothing had changed and I just found out what they think the future of their disgusting attraction is, considering we're all now germophobes. Um, And it turned into quite a nice piece and it was published um, on Frodo's last month, so that was, it was really rewarding to do that because ultimately there was very little work involved. I'd already done the work. And so, you know, that was
0: $200 that I could earn in a morning. That's amazing. That's a great example, really, uh, in terms of just resurfacing an old gem that has sort of never seen the light of day. Was it kind of hard going back and uh, sort of going back over the writing, given you weren't necessarily in the moment?
1: You know what? I mean, the piece I'd written was actually pretty fully formed. Um, It was already sort of 700 words. I mean, a lot of it needed changing to to make it relevant to the current situation. Oh, right. Okay. Um, But also, I mean, what was interesting is that my writing style has changed quite a lot since then because that was back in 2017 and we're now three years later. So it was quite interesting to um, go back over my writing and just tweak it to make it sound a bit more like present day me um so that was fun um but otherwise i think actually the distance that i've had from the experience and reading what i had written at the time almost helped in a way and i'm sure if i went back over pieces that have now been published in other publications i would read them and go oh i really wish i'd said this i really should have phrased it like that um because often when you have distance from a trip or an experience you're better able to summarize that to a reader
0: yeah the the dust settles doesn't it in a sense
1: exactly the dust settles that's that's exactly what it is and i think also once you've had the experience and your you know you write up all your notes and stuff because it's so fresh you forget how other people don't really know what you were doing and they don't necessarily understand the circumstances they don't understand the history or the context that this whole experience is surrounding. Whereas when you've had some distance from a, an experience, then it's much easier to provide that context and provide all of the lovely descriptive, you know, in the moment stuff that you could have done at
0: the time as well. I liked what you said before about how keeping busy has kept you sane. What else has kind of really helped through, the, through this time in terms of I don't know, tools that have kept you going and um, helped your your life kind of make sense at the moment or other skills that you've really tried to develop and flesh out? What what else has really kind of been a saving grace for you at this time?
1: I think my colleagues, to be honest. um, As a freelancer, I obviously don't have colleagues in an office um, or even a virtual office, as most people have today. Um, So it has... Initially, it was quite odd, just sitting at my desk having nothing to do and looking into the void and thinking oh my god i am failing Mm. that was really scary um but pretty quickly i'm in a couple of whatsapp groups with um my peers um other freelance journalists Mm -hmm. and and some staffers as well and since since everything sort of kicked off we all immediately rallied around and we had our zoom calls and we had big chats. We had a friend of mine launched a book during lockdown, which was very unfortunate for her, but we had a lovely book launch via Zoom with about 30 or 40 people, which was really good fun. Um, so I actually think my colleagues have been a huge help and just having, you know, weekly or fortnightly catch-ups with friends in the industry and just talking about how rubbish everything is. (laughs) I think as a, you know, as a freelancer, the best thing you can do is, um, Just have a few people that you go to when you need advice or when you need support or just when you want to chat or bitch about something in the industry. Um, I think it's really good to have a, a core group or just one or two other people who understand what you do and the the way you work and the industry you work in to be able to bounce ideas off of and complain to and you know, it's it's super super
0: valuable. And of course they probably feel the same, right? They probably also exactly. feel like they're failing and of course you're not, and it just helps to exactly realise that you're all in the same boat and But you know what you said is that the prognosis looks kind of quite good from now, doesn't it? What kind of stories now are in demand? What is what are what our editors kind of commissioning on now?
1: Um so it, it, it sort of varies, to be honest. So I, I had an email from the features director at uh, Condé Nast Traveller last week saying, you know, here are our pitching guidelines. Um, we'd really like to focus on destinations. It doesn't matter if you can get there or not right now, because ultimately we're still a a hub of travel inspiration. So, you know, mm-hmm. pitch as you would normally pitch, essentially. Whereas places like The Telegraph are probably not going to cover those destinations that you currently can't travel to, or they're certainly not going to uh, send me anywhere that is currently um, under the the Foreign and Commonwealth Office travel ban. Mm. So I think it, it does really vary based on the publication. Um, lots of places are doing a lot more of narrative first person stuff as inspiration so not sort of go here go now but more here's a thing that you should do when everything is back to normal Um, and then there's obviously also a lot of sort of more current newsy pieces so I was in Weymouth last week for the Telegraph reporting on what it was like um down there during last week's little you know heat wave was thirty or degrees on one of the days, and the beach was packed and After all of those photos that came out of Bournemouth a few months ago or last month, I think it was um it was a pretty newsworthy yeah. thing, so they sent me down to Weymouth to report on that um uh so I think it does it does really vary. I think the key thing I would advise anyone right now is just just keep the pandemic in mind and don't pitch something that feels completely irrelevant or insensitive to the pandemic, but also don't center all of your ideas around the pandemic because at some point we have to move away from that. And actually what would be nice is to hear about new stuff that's Mm -hmm. popping up and new things that are happening in destinations over the next 12 months I think so. And I know that some editors are also asking for that sort of thing. So rather than focusing on, oh my God, where can we go now? What can we do here? What's it like going to a restaurant in Greece? What's it like going to a hotel in Spain? And we've we've all done all that stuff pretty much now. So it's time to focus on the future and start trying to be a bit more optimistic about travel as far as I'm concerned.
0: Well, like your example of the the British cruises, right? Exactly. <laughs> if you can't go and do the travel is it possible for the travel to come to you in the sense of you writing about what's on your doorstep and local to you
1: absolutely i've done a lot of that <laughs> um <laughs> right at the beginning of lockdown actually i was uh, asked to write a few features on british travel so i've been writing dog walks around britain for woman magazine or i've been writing uh, britain's best small town escapes for woman and home I've written stuff on the Cotswolds for TripSavvy and the Telegraph. So these are all things that I can do from my desk because I know this country very well. Um, and these are all things that that I can do. And and you know, some of them I could have travelled where I travelled to the Cotswolds, for example, for an afternoon to go and report for the telegraph. And I explored some of my own back garden in a sense, um, the countryside where I live. I'm in South Oxfordshire, so I explored this area a bit more to inform some of the writing I was doing for woman in home. So it's, it's certainly a good time to start looking closer to home for your travel inspiration. And that means it's also a good time to start looking further afield for your commissions. So not only can you write more about your home towns or your home ground or your home country, um, but you could also go further afield for your commission. So, for example, Trip Savvy is obviously based in the US and has a largely US readership. So I've been writing UK-focused stuff for them because ultimately it's something that they will always want. Um, the UK is a huge destination for Americans um, and they they were interested in stories about the Cotswolds. Um, so that was a really nice fit for me. And photos, again, like I said... Um, earlier I went to FODAS, which is another US publication um, for that Antwerp Commission. So it's a really great opportunity to look a bit further afield because the American writers can't currently come to Britain to cover Britain. So now we can.
0: Precisely, yeah. Mm. So you're really leveraging your local expertise Mm -hmm. for foreign publications.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I I mean, I have done that over the last couple of years. Um, I've been trying to do a little bit less travel just because the... It's an, such an unsustainable lifestyle um, in terms of the environment and also in terms of, you know, relationships and life, really. Um, to be constantly travelling, it's some people it's their dream and that's absolutely fine, but it's certainly not mine. I, I do like to have a home and friends and family and be around. So I've been trying to travel a little bit less and the way I've done that is by leveraging my my UK expertise and, and selling it to America, basically.
0: So, I mean, this, this was really sort of the type of work that was filling the void left when, as you said earlier on overnight, you'd lost 100% of your work.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Still building on this idea of foreign publications. Have you got any good tips in terms of building those contacts and those sort of uh, Mm. abroad um, commissioning editors? How do you kind of get in contact with them and start to get work with those?
1: It's tricky because ultimately it's all about networking and building relationships. And that's obviously very hard to do remotely from across the pond um so for me for example this photos commission i got i think you know i approached them they'd never heard from me before um but i approached them uh via Pitchwiz, which is a, a great platform for seeking editors who are looking for stories um so i pitched them via Pitchwiz and they said yes of course and that was great. I, I didn't have an existing relationship at all. So, the thing that got me that commission was probably my reputation and my previous work and my portfolio and the fact that I've written for US publications in the past. The first time I ever wrote for a US publication was for Afar. Um, and the sole reason I was able to get in there with Afar was because my old boss moved to the States and got a job there. Um, and it is, it's, 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 the whole industry is very much like this. You've got to, strike up relationships and massage those relationships because you never know where those people are going to go and you never know how you could you might be able to work with them in the future and so that's sort of how I've worked for my entire career is I've you know tried to be kind and nice to everybody I have been respectful of everybody even when I disagree with them and you know whatever they're doing Um, because you just never know when someone might become a very important editor that you might want to pitch to. Um, and I'm not saying you have to be two-faced, you don't have to be false to people, but it certainly helps to just remember that that, that these people that you're interacting with um, at networking events or even just on Twitter um, might one day be a commissioning editor that you have to approach to get a commission. So in terms of making contacts across the pond, I use Twitter a lot and I certainly got work through Twitter. Um, I've got work from Spain and from Amsterdam through Twitter because people have seen what I do. I'm very vocal and I'm very um, outspoken on social media and people see what I do. They look me up and they realise that there's maybe some way we can work together. Um, I also have some good SEO on my uh, portfolio website um, and that has also brought in work for me from all over the world. So when you're pitching foreign publications it helps to have somewhere where people can go to look you up and just make sure you're a legit person you're pitching from outside of their pool of of writers and, and their knowledge base probably
0: coming back to what you were saying before about sort of developing those foreign contacts under normal circumstances how tricky is travel writing to sort of break into and in the current context sort of what's it like and is is it a good or bad time to be considering it
1: I think under normal circumstances, travel writing can be incredibly difficult to break into um, because essentially it's a very closed insular industry. I found it very frustrating when I was trying to break into travel writing. And and this is partly the reason I want to do this course with journalism.credit.uk is because I was so dejected by my experience of talking to other travel writers way back when I was at university studying journalism. Um, And, So I'd contacted the British Guild of Travel Writers. I'd contacted a bunch of writers that I found on Twitter um, as part of an assignment at university. I had to interview people that I aspired to be or have have a similar career to. um, And all bar one, either ignored me or told me not to go into the industry. There's no money in it. There's no point in trying to get into it. Um, It's not a sustainable career. Um, Now I'm sitting here laughing at those people because I have made a career of it. I got into it. I was very determined after feeling very dejected. I was then very determined to uh, show them up. And I am now making a very good living from travel writing and have even managed to buy a house with my salary from travel writing, which is wild.
0: That sounds appealing.
1: (laughs) Right? I know. So under current circumstances, it's certainly tricky. Um, It's still just as tricky as it was before. Um, But I would say that maybe actually there's probably some more space for some newer writers and some new voices. The industry, in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that was going on back in June, the industry has really woken up to the fact that it is an incredibly white industry. um, And that's not good for travellers. It's not good for our publications and it's not good for travel as an industry in general. So um, there are certainly more opportunities for new and diverse voices um and I think there are just more opportunities as it is because I think actually a lot of travel writers who don't just do travel writing full-time will have given up on their travel stuff and focused on other areas of their career that um probably weren't quite as badly affected um as travel was so there's possibly some people that won't re-enter the industry after this pandemic and to be honest with you I think there is always room for new voices because I remember when I joined the British Guild of Travel Writers, the average age was certainly over 50, I think, you know, and it is getting younger, but there's there's always room for more. Absolutely. I would always say there's always room for more. And now actually, while things are tricky right now, in a couple of months time, providing we don't hit, get hit by a second peak and providing that travel continues to keep opening up, um, actually, there are going to be more advertising dollars, and therefore more budgets for commissioning travel stories than ever before. And there will be more of a taste for travel. This pandemic has not dampened people's desire for travelling. And I think actually, once we have, you know, some sort of freedom that was similar to the freedoms we had before, things will take off and be as as good as ever.
0: What's your kind of final piece of advice besides, of course, joining the course on travel writing from sort of your bedroom and from home?
1: Just keep reading. Um, Travel writing from home can be really difficult and generating ideas when you're trying to be a travel writer at your desk can be very difficult. Um, So keep reading, keep going outside, keep talking to people. um, And ultimately, if you are writing about places from your desk, places that you've never been to, um, then... Do your research.
0: (laughs) Lottie, this has been great, full of wonderful advice. And it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you about um, some of your experiences and obviously the course you're running with us. Uh, Thank you very, very much for all of your time.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure to chat.
0: So some great insights there from Lottie and also lots of positive messages there on the recovering travel industry and all the new opportunities there are on the horizon. As we discussed, you can get a lot more practical advice on breaking into travel writing on her course happening on the 5th of October 2020. That will cover all the ins and outs of how that sector works, storytelling and pitching, working on the road and all the research and writing guidance you need. That link again is journalism.co.uk forward slash courses. Before I leave you, you can find all of our other podcast episodes on Spotify and Apple podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. If you'd like to feature on the podcast, do drop me an email on jacob at But that's all for me. Thanks for tuning in. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Until next time.